keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Sell out full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> total. Marks with Dan St. Germain. And welcome to Total Effin' Marks, folks. I am one of your hosts, Scott Chaplin, on this lovely day on some other planet. It's certainly not here, and it's certainly not in the world of wrestling. Yet here we are. Um, I'm here with my other co-host, Dan St. Germain, the king of sad Hello, style. Scott. Thank you for taking the lead today. Switching it up. Which is also, yeah, it's also the name of a lot of other uh, wrestlers now, their new gimmick, <laughs> the Kings of Sad Styles. You could start an entire stable, but we will get to that. And then, of course, the great and amazing Robert Karpolis. Am I saying that right? Is it Karpolis? You are. No, you, okay, you've great, got great. it. Uh, Dan butchered it when he was on The Ringer, but we're, uh, we're good. <laughs> I, it's all right. I wouldn't I didn't even hear... listen to The Ringer when Dan's on. That's what I do. I... I don't listen to it. A buddy of mine texted me. He's like, hey, they were talking about you on The Ringer. And then uh, Dan kind of fucked up your name. I was like, yeah, uh, you know what? If that's the worst thing that happened this week, I'd be well, fine with it. The thing is, like, I, I learned it wrong, and the, that's it for me. As soon as I learned something wrong, it's, it's over. Yeah, that's that Dan's, was, like, entire life, actually. <laughs> that's AJ Styles' excuse for most of his social behavior. <laughs> I learned, I, I learned it, wrong. it wrong. Am I the sad style? But that's my father, and I got to go by what he says. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Zach Attack. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing well, Scott. How you doing? I'm all right, man. I'm okay. And, uh, well, let's get to the 10 count, everybody. Number one, uh, COVID-19 is your new undisputed WWE <laughs> champion. Finally. What do you guys think of the results of that? Did, were you expecting COVID-19 to win this week? <laughs> I mean, not since Roman Reigns has something been so rammed down our throats that we don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, so Ryan Satin reported, uh, I guess it was last night, right? Um, no, two nights, it's Tuesday night, correct? Days and times are relative in 2020. Yeah, it, I don't know. Two darks ago. Two I don't know what you call ago, that. Yeah. Two darks ago, yeah. Two long <laughs> yeah. ago. Again, that's something... Yeah, that's something AJ Styles is not going to comment on either. <laughs> but Ryan Satin reported that multiple people in WWE tested positive for Corona. It's looking more like multiples of 10. Um, I'm hearing anything from 10 yeah, to right 2,000 people. Right now we got people. Renee, Kylie, Bra Braxton, I forget that name. Kayla Braxton. And who I believe deleted her tweet since posting that. Oh, she did? I believe so, which which leads me to believe that uh, a lot of people are not going to be coming out about this. Well, that's that's what you want. Well, hers was <laughs> yeah. hers was bad because she had it twice, and her tweet was basically, "I didn't know you could get it twice." Whoops. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, scrap iron, Adam Pierce. 
was the third that came out and said that he has COVID. So, so that means that the two backstage interviewers who interact with every piece of talent and the producer who puts together every match and interacts with every piece of talent all had COVID. Yeah, and there's no doubt in my mind that there are top talents that we are familiar with who are not going to say a word. We are just not going to see them for the next few weeks, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess we'll know this next week. Monday. Those will kind of reveal yeah. it, I suppose, right? Like if an Andrade doesn't show up, we can assume he has it. Or, you know, if someone doesn't show up, maybe one of their relatives died from it. Um, <laughs> because uh, shit is crazy, uh, specifically in Florida, where uh, all shows are taping. So what happened is Renee Young, apparently she took a test at home or from her personal doctor. This was not a WWE test. And she tested positive. Um, she is married to the AEW champion, John Moxley, who AEW, they've done a pretty, I mean, I don't want to say great job because a great job would be nobody comes to work. But um, in this delusion that they all have that wrestling is absolutely essential and that we need it, um, they've done a fair job. I mean, they're, they're actually, they've tested people from day one uh, for the virus, not just temperature checks. But now, because of WWE's negligence, uh, there's an AEW guy that is uh, out. And if he gets it, he's going to miss a main event in two weeks. And he's their champion. So they, they have two people, I think, that uh, sat out the last day. QT, but that's kind of yeah. sort of, uh, you know, that's a different story. QT Marshall <laughs> uh, got it as well. QT Marshall, I mean, no, I hope obviously he's well, but the only person that the show actually got better <laughs> because he wasn't a bit, I mean, the match was, and it could have been, you know, any replacement match would have been better, but this was actually like a huge, a huge help. Kazarian is great. He's so good. His hair looks good too. I know I always comment on the physicality in another type of way, but that hair is really wow. stellar. Um, anyway, also what, what we're also dealing with, um, with COVID now is New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut have essentially made like travel bans to Florida that if you are going to go to Florida or come back from Florida, um, you need a two-week period where you need to sit tight and stay home and make sure you are not sick. So I'm, I'm down here in Florida in, the, uh, in my bubble that uh, I'm definitely not leaving. And just to give you an idea of what a massive disaster area this is, uh, we had roughly 4,000 new cases last week. And Palm Beach County, the, the county that I'm in, the, the home of, of Mar-a-Lago, um, just uh, two days ago, the, the county commission finally came out and said, you're not allowed to leave your home unless you're wearing a mask. And the number of people who showed up to protest this in anger was in the, in the dozens and dozens. Uh, people outraged about this. It's turning into a situation where it's become such a political issue that they're trying to argue. One woman stood up and said, nobody has really died from COVID. Um, I don't wear masks. I'm not a sex slave, was her, was her argument. So this, this goes back to what we've talked about as to why WWE keeps running their shows. It is to their advantage from a political standpoint to try to keep things normal, keep everything status quo. They want to back the administration who's trying to get things open as quickly as possible. The governor of the state stuck his neck out by making WWE essential. And the more these stories are that are coming out that 
they were fairly lax in terms of what they did is going to be embarrassing. And their standard defense is going to be, we told everyone, if you don't want to work these shows, you don't have to. We saw how well that worked out for Roman Reigns and Sami Zayn. They said they were doing And now Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens, I mean, he literally just, you know those scenes in action movies where like you get get out of the building and then you jump as the building's (laughs) exploding? Well, his was a situation, I believe someone on his wife's family, her grandfather or father, someone just passed away from COVID. Yeah. So yeah. that makes it very just apparent. It's so mad but when they're telling you, hey, the audience of Raw and like you don't need we we if if somebody got it last week, just just nobody in the audience. Like we don't need it. It's not that important, especially yeah. There were people the in the audience for Raw. Audience not they have. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, they will hide behind the fact that everyone that shows up there is a voluntary basis. They're all grown ups. We take your temperature. And if you don't, and they'll use Renee as an example. Look, if you didn't feel well, go and get tested. So she did what, what they feel. Look, look at how great we are. We told you if you don't feel well, get tested. Now she's going to stay home. But there's a lot of wrestlers that are there who are in danger. And more importantly, there's the production people who are not all young. There are camera guys who've been with the WWE for 20, 30 years who are probably working these shows because they're not getting paid otherwise. Vince and Kevin Dunn are not young men and they're being exposed to this. So there's a lot of people who are at risk. I mean, Ric Flair, the one person who doesn't need to be at Raw is Ric Flair. And they're putting him there surrounded by people who have COVID. They're tempting fate. And if somebody winds up getting this and it becomes more severe, this is going to be a very hard thing for them to, to sweep under the rug. Yeah, I think Rick, it's, it's like a Jerry Lawler situation. He's just like, let this take me out, you know, kind of just. Can you imagine how much shit is under that WWE rug? It has got to be just like, like, just like you know, in The Simpsons when they're like, like oh, we clean. They're all like, they're all like, kind of like falling all over the rug. Also, apparently, this is a situation where talent, you know, didn't, they weren't informed first. This was a thing that they found out when we found out. Apparently, Mia Yim found out while uh, streaming, like, video games or something. (laughs) While she's playing, a fan told her, you know, that I guess she needed to go take a test. Um, Very strange. Vince is, he's really just treating it like he thinks everybody treats herpes. Like, he's just like, yeah, he's just like, I think everybody has it, and you just don't tell anybody you have it, and that's how this works. That's how this virus works. <laughs> it's a bummer. But anyway, number two, on to uh, an even bigger bummer somehow. Um, the Speaking Out uh, movement, hashtag Speaking Out, that, uh, that happened this week. Uh, is Speaking Out the new NWO, guys? Is it <laughs> the new breaking in and changing things? I mean, this is... They are going to be, this is like justified NWO. They are coming in and burying uh, a lot of guys. Well, here on the All Things Tragedy Podcast <laughs> Network, uh, we, we go from everybody's getting a disease and dying like it's a zombie apocalypse, not like the ECW zombie, um, to, to the speaking out movement. And it's, it's amazing how quickly this just all sort of came together. This, this swept the, the entire wrestling world uh, in such a short amount of time, and the number of stories that are out there that are very ugly and very disturbing. And I think that the most important thing you need to do when looking at this is, is there's, two, there's two pieces to this just from a sensitivity standpoint. I think, number one, the people who are coming out and, and 
making these accusations, who are, who are telling their story. There, there's a bravery to it. There's a vulnerability to it, especially because it's online where you're going to be attacked just for saying this. And the second piece is to be very careful not to paint everyone with the same brush. I think that sure. was one of the things that was happening where there were some people accused of truly horrible acts of sexual assault and, and violence and, and rape. And then there were some people where they were trying to use the speaking out movement to say, I was at a wrestling school and, and this other wrestler I worked with was mean to me in the ring and said some, you know, some, was taunting me for, for being yeah. a shitty wrestler. That's not the same thing. I, uh, yeah, I certainly saw definitely. some of that. And initially, those first few days, I guess this started happening, what, Thursday and Friday last week, Saturday. There's a lot of stories coming out. Um, now that we're kind of a week out from it, I think a few names that have really stuck. The guy who started it all, uh, David Starr, seems to be I – mean, I don't know how he comes back from this. Uh, I mean, I, nor do I necessarily think he sh should. Um, some ugly accusations against him. Joey Ryan seems to be done. I mean, yeah. one, even if like in a world where he is completely forgiven, which that does not exist, uh, you're definitely coming back with a new gimmick, you know? You're not, you can't be <laughs> oh, that. Yeah, yeah so, very right to censor after I mean, this. Yeah, it's, it's, it, he seems completely done. Uh, thank God AEW, you know, didn't sign him or, you know, that's a wild situation. Chikara closed down. Um, what's his name? Mike Quackenbush. He's a Mike Quackenbush. Yeah. Um, he's been accused. Uh, NWA, Dave Lagana has been released. Um, and, and I think the, the one thing I've, I've said with some of my, uh, some of my friends that uh, are in the industry is that one of the things that makes me feel like such an asshole is some of the names that came out. My first response was, well, that doesn't surprise yeah, me. And it just speaks volumes about some of the people that are, are in the business and some of the practices that have existed in the industry. And that for years, this was a, an entire business predicated on secrecy. And the basis of it was a brotherhood because you're trying to protect the business, but you're also putting your life in someone else's hands when you're in a ring. If someone doesn't like me, I'm not letting them vertical suplex me. I mean, good luck at you know 200 pounds and getting me up in the air to begin with, but I'm not going to let them do that. And people have used that to put this blanket over all sorts of bad behavior. And the incubators for this seems to have been a combination of wrestling schools and certain independent promotions. And that's where a lot of these actions that have come out uh, have happened. And in a wrestling school and in some of these indie promotions, like a lot of what was going on in Hollywood, you have somebody who has the appearance of authority and control and they can say, look, I can make your career better or I can blackball you. And there is that fear. And I, I have heard from some people that I've spoken to who've told me that they've run into situations with some of these people and they were scared to speak out because they didn't want to no longer be booked on shows because they'd be viewed as a problem for, for speaking out. So I think that's why it's important to encourage people to come out and, and say what happened to them and, and hold people accountable. And some of the, the, the companies and some of the wrestlers have been held accountable. The fact of the matter is most of the WWE people, nothing has come out. Now, does that mean that they are all Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts? No. I think part of the problem there may be that there are people who have had negative experiences happen to them, but they're under WWE contract and they don't want to come out against the company or against some of their coworkers. COVID. Yeah, it's um, 
they really don't know what will happen. And also it's a totally different legal team you're dealing with, you know, to accuse one man who's standing there on his own is one thing to accuse, you know, somebody within a company that, I mean, has all of the money in the world. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they, they, they fired a uh, Gallagher, right. Or Gallagher, how, however, Jack was, Gallagher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so clearly that was a situation where he could not defend himself when the office brought it up. I think it's probably an Enzo situation. It looks like he obviously knew this was a situation that might've been brought up in the future. And since he didn't mention it to them, um, they thought it was kind of like a breach of trust. And so they got rid of him. I'll try to put it in, in a positive way that I'm hoping that the reason why there's not that many instances of, of abuse within WWE that have come out is because they are a legitimate professional company that has a talent relations department where if anything were to actually happen, there's mechanisms in place and people for them to talk to. I know when I was there, there was an HR department, there were talent relations departments, and those were kept separate from the, the all-seeing eye of Vince McMahon. So if there was a legitimate HR issue, there were avenues for people to pursue it. I'm hoping that the reason why there's nothing with AEW is because there's something similar. Some of these yeah. smaller companies, you're not going to get that in, in theoretically a, a Chikara or one of the other yeah. uh, CZW. Yeah. Look, if New Jack is consistently being booked on indie shows, we can assume that the indies are truly the wild Well, West. nobody can speak out with uh, New Jack because he's murdered all of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but luckily, we don't have that problem in comedy. Uh, join our new co-host, Kalia, next week. Uh, he'll be... Uh, also, uh, I mean, you know, Jim, Jimmy Havoc uh, is being sent to rehab, and then they'll see what they're going to do from there. That's a strange situation where, I mean, can he even get back to England if they fire him? I mean, they'll ship him back in a crate, and <laughs> Cornette will be there to say, well, he's more over now because he came out of the box. <laughs> yeah. So he'll be and Cornette, he'll be by the way, comes out of this uh, clean somehow. He's He basically just shut that shit down he was just like yeah me and my wife uh we fuck different <laughs> yeah, oh yeah but were, were you surprised for even a second that there was a story out there that jim Cornette for years would be operating some kind of pro wrestling sex ring yeah like it totally checked <laughs> out i would have been surprised if he wasn't like what was he doing this whole time <laughs> the one that i i I don't feel bad for him because I he's a I, I think that he, there's problems with it. But the way that Sammy Guevara got put out as the as the, in the spotlight for it for what he said, what he said was was reprehensible and it was stupid and it was recorded and it was it was out there and, and publicized. But I think that's another example where he becomes one of the poster children for this speaking out movement when there are other people who deserve to have. The, the the spotlight negatively put on them as an indication of here's reprehensible behavior you absolutely shouldn't do. Whereas yeah. Sammy Guevara was trending worldwide on Twitter because what he said was indefensible, but I don't think that it meets the same level as some of the accusations of the WWE NXT guys who, yeah. well, you know, abused somebody people. who was like the most famous out of everyone that was met, you know, like Sasha Banks has a lot of fans. So I think that, that's what your reason. And also, you know, I mean, look, it was a, it was an awful thing. You hope that you hope that all the uh, victims get treatment and help, and you hope that you know people that can grow from it, you know, can grow from it. Um, and you know. yeah, and and someone like Sammy, it's a situation where like I I think we've put a lot of value in humor and attempts at humor, 
And I, I don't know if even if it's some comedian's fault where this idea that it, all of all of humor comes from the heart and it's us exploring ourselves. And honestly, sometimes humor is just you being the dumbest motherfucker you can be saying the dumbest yeah. shit. Um, it's a I part of it. Problem, it is a part you know, of and, it. And I, you know, like, look, I, I love, I, I love Sammy and he was, he was in the ring and I, he was really nice on our show. But um, I think the problem is that like, when you say that, that's kind of like saying like fire in a movie theater, it like steps above the free speech. But, yeah, you know, like, ugh, yep. look, man, I mean, everybody said fucking stupid shit and we've all made, you know, like mistakes and fucking, you know, hopefully he, he learns from it and obviously apologized to Sasha Banks. So that's that's great. And um, yeah. yeah. And, and again, if, if something comes up of Sammy where it turns out he did something, then fuck him. But as of now, all we have is the, these comments that he thought he was joking. We had him on the podcast. Not only is he like, uh, you know, trying to have fun the entire time, you can also very much tell that this is still a kid. Like he's still a young yeah. guy. And, I, uh, I work with him in MLW, had the, had the same thought. He's, he's a young guy. There's, there's no filter. And yeah. I sometimes think back to, you know, it, this, is, this was something that he had said that uh, he was probably thinking he was being funny. And I just don't want the understanding of the speaking out movement to, to move course from what it's supposed to be focused on to this becoming an ax to grind for everything somebody said years ago and put it on they, equal they, footing. So I, I just want the focus to stay where it needs to be. They punish, yeah. they punish him by just sending him to Cornette's house. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, yes. Oh, also Marty Scurll, uh, Ring of Honor is investigating, you know, claims against Marty. I don't, I, I mean, if I had to bet, I, I'd say he might, he might be let go on this one. Um, just because those apologies were, I mean, I guess what do you expect to hear, but they weren't very great. My cynical response to that is going to be that because Ring of Honor is not operating right now on television, they're going to hope that this is something that people just forget. You know, they put something out there, they're investigating it. Uh, Marty tried to say that whatever occurred was consensual and, and X, Y, and Z. Um, but I think that because they're not running shows, they're going to hope this is out of sight, out of mind, and that in a few months' time, hopefully people will have forgotten. Yeah. It doesn't help that all of his t-shirts say the villain on them. <laughs> no. But yeah, anyway. guys need to consider what their gimmicks are. Like, it, like the Joey Ryan thing is, like, if you are, in fact, operating in such a way where you're theoretically uh, putting women in uncomfortable positions where you're exposing yourself and doing God knows what, don't make it your gimmick. Very weird. Very, very weird. But... Yuck, let's uh, hope the wrestling gets better, and I know it will from this. Uh, maybe not the it's, writing, it's, but the behind the scenes. Aldo Montoya shoots up a Panera bread? <laughs> <laughs> um, number three, is Fox done with WWE? Uh, they canceled backstage, so that's, uh, that's two terrible things to happen to Renee this week. <laughs> And uh, apparently there was a Fox team focusing on the WWE uh, when this started. Apparently that's been disassembled. Um, advertising hasn't been the same for them. Do you think they're done with them? Do you think this is a reaction to, I don't know, 
the way WWE has been looked at a lot on the internet? What, what it do you seems guys think like they're, is? I mean, look, just coming from network television, not to sound douchey, it seems like they're done for sure. And they're going to get out as soon as there's a way to get out. I think that after the first year, they can opt out, right? Or is it the second year? I, I don't. I think they have the ability to switch them to FS1 or, or something like that. Well, I, I'm just talking about in terms of the money. Um, I, I don't know, like, because, you know, what, what, they got like a $600 million deal. I forget the exact uh, numbers with it. But I, I think they're going to opt out as, as fast as possible. And look, like, <laughs> this is going to be, you know, back to COVID. I know nobody wants to, like, you know, COVID-19 is Brock Lesnar's championship run. It just, we're just going to keep coming back to it until we find a cure. Uh, and people, COVID needs to stay away from Kofi Kingston then. <laughs> COVID Kingston. That's a terrible gimmick. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that if, if dude, if there's a big article about um, WWE, like not letting people wear masks or something like that, Network isn't, and even cable is, if they get enough bad press, they're just going to fucking pull it. That's, that's what they do. So, you know, I hope that doesn't happen because there's, you know, a lot of people whose livelihoods depend on it, but I don't think it's looking particularly great. The canceling of backstage is kind of surprising because that's not an expensive show to produce, especially in COVID world. It's basically what we're doing now. It's a couple people on a Zoom. And it's an hour of fresh content when 90% of FS1 is showing, you know, car racing from two years ago or the 97 SummerSlam. Yeah. So for them to pull the plug on it is, is pretty surprising, especially because remember, this was the show that brought CM Punk back into WWE programming and it still failed. Yeah. Well, that's what he gets, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I also, I heard that commercials uh, are actually like the people who, you know, the companies are willing to pay more for a commercial during a sport. They're willing to pay Fox more during a sport to run a commercial than they are for um, a WWE type show. So I guess there is more money in advertising makes you feel like the biggest piece of shit. It's like Pizza Hut, Burger King. Yeah, it used to be like Stacker yeah, 2. A rascal, you know, just like... Skechers? Do you remember they did the Skechers boot, boot? Like, they had to sell Skechers to dudes, so it was just like boots and shoes with an attitude. <laughs> like, they had to make the yeah. shoes assholes in order for us to be like, all right. I bought all these lugs beforehand. Now I got to go buy Skechers. <laughs> yeah, if lugs. You bought anything was that lugs, WWE, lugs? It, was, it was lugs, and then it was Skechers. And then they got, like, Keystone Light was their beer sponsor, and it was all over. They, they whore themselves out. I will never forget when Coke pulled all their advertising from SmackDown when it was on UPN and the Parent Television Council freaked out. And then they started advertising with RC Cola. <laughs> I'm an it's, RC Cola fan. That explains a lot. It's the, it's the, new, it's the new Japan of sodas. Uh, you really have to appreciate it. I think Fox is pissed because, you know, there was that urine segment a few weeks ago that they were furious over. That would not, that did not, that, oh, they that didn't cut go it out. well with them. They cut it out of the West Coast feed. It's been removed from any subsequent feeds. It, they said it would not have passed their standards and practices. So wow. I think that WWE has done everything possible to kind of poke the bear. The nice thing about not being on Fox anymore is I don't, I, if I never see the progressive logo 
on a WWE show again, it's every other segment is is progressive. And the the closing shot of SmackDown was that, that great intense stare down between Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman, and Bray reveals that he's back to his old persona. And then the progressive logo pops up in the corner of the screen at the exact same time. <laughs> and I was waiting for Flo to appear behind him just to completely shatter that moment. I know this is a random question. You guys might not have an answer, but do you, do you have a favorite uh, commercial WWE tie-in kind of? I used to love those Chef Boyardee. The Chef Boyardee Mankind oh, one great. is like a, that's an all-time Super Bowl me, commercial yeah. was one of the better Super Bowl commercials I've ever seen. That, that I love the in front of the headquarters and like a guy falls out of the building and oh I loved that that was for yeah, the Super Bowl yeah that was that, I thought that was really great yeah that gave phenomenal. me a weird sense that was it gave me a weird sense of pride seeing that on the Super Bowl like watching it with my family I'm like yeah the stupid thing that your son watches made it onto the Super Bowl and they're like we still uh, yeah. don't love you that was exactly <laughs> what they said uh, I loved when they when they would integrate stuff like they had the Karate Fighters tournament. And they filmed about, this, I may be dating myself a little bit. This was in the 90s. They, they had these yeah, terrible that. like yeah. toys. And they, and they did a bunch of videos. So it was like a bunch of wrestlers engaged in a tournament that were a bunch of pre-tapes of them playing with these stupid little karate fighter games. And it was a weekly segment. Oh, uh, the and best they, of all time, Macho Man Swim Gym, right? There's nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty great. Uh, I guess the other one would be uh, Hulk Hogan right guard. Anything less would be uncivilized. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. Ric Flair's done some, like, questionable commercials, right? They had some cool UK Rick commercials. Like, they had one with Kurt Angle and Seth Rollins, where, like, Seth Rollins burned the house down, and then Kurt Angle showed up in the rubble, and, like, took yeah. his hood off, made everybody... I always liked the commercials when they were going to a new network. They'd always have a commercial of them, like, somehow beating the shit out of the network or something <laughs> for like weird goofy pitch they have for wrestling on other, you know, we did a sad couple ones for when we moved to Friday nights uh, to be Friday night SmackDown. So the, the idea was it was showing all these different areas around the city where things were just abandoned on a Friday night because everybody's home watching SmackDown. And That's a terrible was, way to pitch it. They tried. They tried their best. Uh, it was just empty nightclubs and bars and streets because everybody's home watching uh, Jimmy Wang Yang and the uh, uh, Mexicals. <laughs> that is a bummer. Ugh. Okay. Well. Anyway, uh, number four, um, Undertaker's Last Ride, the finale. Did you guys watch it? Did you cry? How many times did you cry? I did watch it. I didn't cry. I thought I was going to cry. But I also thought it was very good. I love that George Strait song that they played at the end. Yeah, man, I cried. I cried twice. I cried twice. Which parts did you cry during? I cried when he talked about his dad and the ma the makeup. Yeah. Uh, you know, his dad being skeptical of the makeup. That's that's a thing that's not going to exist soon. And <laughs> you know, now it's going to be like um, the kid getting pissed because the dad didn't buy the right makeup. <laughs> yeah 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 exactly i thought that was really sweet and then you know you just you remember like oh my god this giant man had a has a had a dad and I, I i always it's like it's like when you find out your like when you find out your teacher like has a life like has a yeah. house what you think like vince made him in a lab somewhere 
<laughs> That's why Kevin Dunn's around. He's really a, he's an evil genius and just creates humans. It's just so nice when you when you like realize like oh this like Undertaker has eaten homemade cookies his whole life you know like when you think of things like that it it makes you feel nice. It's still hard for me to think of him as a real person because even when I worked with him he was one of the only people you had to call Undertaker uh, or, or by his name. So even Vince would would refer to everybody by but he was always Undertaker. He was never ever Mark. It was one of the rules that that we were always told is. You address him as Undertaker. It's a sign of respect, but nobody ever called him Mark. How did that? How was your first introduction? What did you say when you first saw him? Hello, Undertaker. First time I met Undertaker, he was wearing a towel, so that demystified Taker a little bit. Um, But and he totally no sold it and did the handshake. But he was using the writer's locker room to to shower, and and seeing him come out in a thankfully in a towel, not a gross locker room, a writer's locker room. Holy shit. Well, he got in there before we did, and all of our sadness and Cheeto dust, <laughs> and Lagana massage oils, um, allegedly. <laughs> I also do. Do you really think Taker is retired? No, 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 no. Never. It was such a low key, like it was trending on Twitter worldwide. Like, thank you, Taker. He did the fake retirement at WrestleMania a few years ago where he took the hat off and hugged Michelle, and that was the end of it, and then he was still back. I think if the Saudi government stroked a check tomorrow, he'd be back in the ring. He signed a 15-year contract, right? Vince isn't going to want him to just hang around at Access for that. Wait, hold on. I have Bret Hart on the phone to talk about long-term contracts and how that works out for him. (laughs) Well, even MSG, you know, posted, like, a thing on their – Whatever you call that. Yeah, but there's nobody on the street, so who saw it? Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone's I, a wrestling uh, fan when no one sees it. I, I thought that was maybe – that last episode was one of WWE's best documentaries, for me at least. Maybe I was just in a mood when I was watching it. Um, I just loved every part of it, and I, I thought that ending was really, really uh, great. I'm not saying as a whole it was an amazing documentary, but I think the first episode and this episode are, are this really episode strong. Great. Third and fourth seemed like they kind of repeated themselves. Yeah. I don't understand how a company that can't handle long-term booking three weeks in advance had the foresight for years to gather this kind of footage, knowing someday they'd make a documentary. So weird. And then also it's, MJ's documentary, like, lined up. Yeah. Last dance, was, last ride. It works perfectly. This was like a flowers for Algernon kind of moment for the WWE. They had a rare moment of intelligent lucidity, and then the rest of it's been uh, everything else that we've seen yeah. recently. What's the worst WWE documentary you guys have seen? The Warrior one's pretty brutal. Oh, when they watch. just bury him the whole fucking time. When they just they just take him out back and, and shoot him in the head. That's a that's um, a weird one. It, it's a fun one to watch in a, in a perverse way. Um, I also think they kind of phoned in the, the death of WCW or the, the rise and fall of WCW one. Oh, I was not a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of the Monday Night Wars one either because whoa. it just seemed like bullshit. It was bullshit. That, so they used to give copies of that to every new employee when they started at the WWE so you could understand the history of it. <laughs> but if I never see footage of that Bischoff interview where the Tron is in the background with, with the uh, color bars <laughs> on it, It'll be too soon. They got about 30 DVDs out of that one interview. It's such a false history. It, it, it comes off so strange. Anytime you talk about DX like they're at all superior than the NWO, uh, you, you lose credibility. 
to me. See, I I don't I don't know. I think that DX they, they didn't do anything. They never did anything. DX it, remained pure for it. the majority of it. I think NWO had a had a had a brief moment of of shock because of what they were trying to initially do, and then the minute they started watering it down, the NWO was was a disaster, and it was the it was the death of WCW. They built an angle that they had no out for it. I think DX was a great way. You look at who it got over as talent. It got over Hunter when it was with Sean, and then China. They were edgy and different, and they were the catalyst for a lot of the Attitude Era stuff. And then when it reinvented, and they brought in Waltman, and they brought in the New Age Outlaws, they were engaging segments for at least two or three times on the show. Okay, but I, I just think that idea of they were edgy and they pushed the Attitude Era, I go, well, no, NWO was edgy and they pushed the Attitude Era. I, I think they're a direct response to the NWO. Um, I think it was realizing know, I that, mean, they got the you know, two-click guys. That, that's right. part of it, you know? And to not acknowledge that and to not, I don't know, it, it always just seemed very fraudulent. I, I think WCW's... To act like it was just the cruiserweights that was great in WCW, it seems really unfair. Well, let's to be honest. WWE, the reason they killed WCW is Stone Cold Steve Austin. I, the Rock came, I mean, yeah. right after that, but as far as the guy who made all the difference, it was a superstar like none other. Yeah, you're right. Oh, you know what? Uh, and, I mean, you, you guys will probably agree with me. I think Rise and Fall of ECW was actually really great. Yeah, I mean, Another oh, it's tremendous. documentary that's that, very good too. That's probably my favorite uh, wrestling documentary. And I remember the Benoit one being phenomenal uh, because that's a great story. It's a good, it is, it is. Yeah, no, up, it up is. Up to that it's, point until they oh, made yeah. that documentary, that was a great story. OJ Simpson, football if years. Stop, <laughs> if you end at the Hertz commercial for OJ, yeah. it's the best documentary ever. <laughs> well, the documentary ends with Benoit, you know, getting his title. Uh, and that's how I like to remember uh, <laughs> his story. <laughs> yes, but and and for all you listeners, um, if you haven't uh, gone back and listened to the Patreon that we did a few days ago, uh, you will understand why the NWO is an overrated, bloated disaster. Okay, caucus, true. A blight on the wrestling industry <laughs> that will ne- that the COVID nineteen of its blight era. on the wrestling industry. No, I, you know, yeah, you just based on that, that match, match is horrendous. That one match. But it's, that's a lot of their matches. And so in that sense, you're absolutely right. I don't think I can name a single, definitely not Shawn Michaels match, but maybe not even a Triple H match that is as bad as um, most matches in WCW that involved the NWO after the first eight months. It goes back to what we said. Once those guys had guaranteed contracts and didn't need to show up and, and work hard to earn their money, uh, they were able to phone it in. I mean, you, you guys as professional comedians, if you got booked for a year and it didn't matter how many people showed up, you had a guaranteed salary every week, would you be writing new material? Or would you just do the same bits week after week? Yeah. Yeah, it depends on... Uh... On my uh, mood, but yeah, like you're right. A really famous comedian. You go to like Pat Oswalt show or a Jim Gaffigan show, and he he literally will ask for requests at the end. It's so fucking bonkers because as a comic, the number one complaint you'll get is, "Yeah, I heard that joke before." Besides, you suck. It's I heard that joke before. 
and that there that there are comics that you want to see you know their five moves of doom is is pretty incredible I, I tried yeah. watching Seinfeld's new Netflix document or Netflix comedy special, and he was doing some of the same bits he did 30 years ago with the, well, the, the, the bill is the story of the meal. I'm like, I heard this story, I had this joke in, in 92, and I'm hearing yeah. it now again on Netflix. It's kind of like, all right, I, it, it becomes a bit of a turnoff. It, um, it, it becomes a lot funnier when you watch Seinfeld and you realize that his life is consumed by all this trivial bullshit, and it's probably hell just to exist as him. Uh, so that's how I like to watch any of his stuff, is that he's an absolute psychopath. I, I had this, I had this bit about Seinfeld before The Walking Dead happened, uh, that is COVID, and that was just like, like Seinfeld is just like uh, too rich to be relatable anymore. You know, like I don't even know how he can do like you, you know, like hey, you ever be eating dodo meat? And you know, like it's like it's stuff that only <laughs> fucking rich people like the Illuminati. And I don't even know how much more money he needs. Is he building a Jurassic Park? I have no fucking idea, you know, how this guy is still around <laughs> doing it. But that's why, that's why Curb Your Enthusiasm was so, so fun, because that was the whole bit that, that Jerry Seinfeld said about Larry David. He goes, Larry David is proof that success and money doesn't change who you are as a person. Yeah. And that he's just as miserable, you know, rich and famous, or at least that's his shtick, as he was when he was Jerry Seinfeld that should then see any documentary about an eighties metal band, because that is absolutely not true. <laughs> like by the end of it, like, oh my God, I lost my arm. Our drummer's dead. No. <laughs> All right. Moving along. Number five guys. Uh, that was a great edge promo on raw, but do we want to see the final match in this trilogy? Dan? No. Uh, I do not. I, I look. I, I really liked their last match, and I really like both Edge and Randy Orton. But the thing that really excited me about that promo is he's like, "I'm going. I'm becoming the rated R superstar again." And I was like, "Great, Drew McIntyre has somebody to feud with. <laughs> That's what I think they should be doing." Like Edge is a terrific heel. He'll know how to get fucking heat again. He's not somebody like if you turn him heel like Stone Cold, the audience won't be like, "What." Like, people will accept Edge as a heel, and I think he could help make Drew. That, that's my opinion. He, he did the same for Cena. And it's funny. I had a very similar thought, but I think that what they're going to do is they're going to get one more match out of Randy Orton and Edge, where Edge is going to come back as the rated-R superstar. You're going to get the viciousness and the, the tenacity and all of that, and then it's going to be the idea of he now remembers who he is, and then he realizes – oh, I'm the, I'm the asshole and the opportunist, and now I'm going to go after Drew. So I think he's going to close the door on the Randy Orton story at, let's say, SummerSlam, and then the next night on Raw, show up and, and attack McIntyre. Well, Edge is also out, right? I mean, he just got yeah. surgery. He's out for a while. Um, so when you say have a match, you mean like they're going to film around an injury? or do No, you I think, think that he'll come back. So I think he'll come back by – let's say SummerSlam in that window okay. uh, and end of August, beginning of, of September, somewhere at that point in time where he's cleared and he can, he can wrestle again and they'll find a way around it. And then he can work a program with, with Drew. Either yeah. that or he's going to come back and fuck Lita again. <laughs> I, uh, I actually think we need to wait until there's a crowd to finish the trilogy. I think a legitimate crowd, um, if that's next year, whatever, hold off on it. 
let Randy feud with who he needs to feud with. Um, let Edge come back at the Rumble if that means there's going to be a crowd at the Rumble. I don't know. When, whenever that happens, I think to end it, it ends with a real match this time in front of a real crowd live, and that's the blow-off. Otherwise, people are going to want to see a fourth one. People are going to want to see that match when wrestling is regular. Dude, how great would it be if, like, No Chance in Hell started playing and Dr. Fauci came out and was like, everybody, go home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they have a Dr. Fauci lookalike who's ready to go. <laughs> I, I know it, um, I texted edges, you this, but I mean, since we're on Drew or whatever, maybe we could talk about this. The scheduled opponent for Drew is Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. At least that's what you know the dirt sheets are reporting, which means that SummerSlam is just going to be like an empty arena redo of WrestleMania if it's Edge Norton and Lesnar. And Drew, and I, I do want to see those two matches again in front of a crowd, but, I mean, I don't really want to see the Edge and Orton match, but I definitely want to see Drew and Brock again in front of a crowd. I just don't know what we get if we do that match with another empty arena or with another arena filled with Performance Center trainees. Yeah, it's all very empty. Uh, I think that's a flaw in a lot of this stuff. With empty arena comes just empty feelings and empty storylines. What are you saying? I don't think you need to do Drew Brock, quite frankly, for a while. I think no. that one of the advantages that they've had with the way they've booked Drew, which is strange, is they build up these opponents for one-offs and then they go do something else. So they, they blew off the Seth feud after a month. Then they blew off the Lashley feud. Now you've got Dolph Ziggler in. You can revisit Lashley. You, you can spend the next few months rehabilitating him and turn him into a monster and, and do a rematch with Drew that really means something. Because I think Lashley is one of the few guys they're, they're kind of getting right. And there's a possibility. Their match at uh, Backlash, which was either one week or seven months ago, was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, so I great. think that they could revisit it at SummerSlam, and there's still mileage. I, I do not disagree with you on that. I, I just know that this this Orton Edge trilogy it do, it doesn't it's not like a Godfather situation for me. You know, it's not a Batman. Well, it is a Godfather situation. Three situation if well, it happens. Damn it! I was just gonna no no Godfather Three at this point is him and Big Show. <laughs> um, I don't know what 2020 has done to piss off the gods, but on top of everything else, I'm getting a Big Show main event babyface push again against Randy Orton. Um, I will watch his Netflix show if it means that he's going to be too busy to come back and wrestle. <laughs> yeah, they should, they should just tell us that. They should go listen. They should bring him out there, and they should, like, point at him and just be like, you get this guy unless you watch the show. Make it number one on Netflix for a week, and you'll never have to see him again. And I would Big do show. it. I, I'd put in the time. Big show also in the NWO. Oh, geez. Never a member of DX. Not yet. You win, when they you bring win. back the new TX with Big Show holding those giant glow sticks. <laughs> Big Show, Hornswoggle, and uh, the bald versions of Sean and Hunter. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, number six, NXT or AEW. Uh, before we start, NXT had a seven. 186,000 uh, viewers, and AEW had 633,000 viewers. Uh, and it's really hard for me to read big numbers. <laughs> so thanks for, for 
for letting me do that, guys. Um, yeah, so NXT won this week, which is super rare. Um, what you're really seeing is a huge drop in AEW viewers and not so much an increase in NXT viewers. I don't know what that is. Uh, do you guys have a favorite show out of the two from, from Wednesday this week? I think Dynamite had one of my favorite segments that I had seen in a very long time, which was the press conference with Cody and Jake Hager. I thought the way that they utilized every aspect of that was really, really well done. It was a highlight of the fact that Arn Anderson was in WWE for the better part of two decades and was never allowed to talk on television. And the way that he was used in that press conference to get over Cody, to get over Hager, to make the importance of this particular program was really, really well done. And the, and the promo that Cody cut, and I'm not the biggest Cody fan in the world, but the, the way that he laid out who his character is, the importance of the title, the fact that the guy he wrestled last week now has a job, and that he's taking this so seriously, everything felt authentic. And it was, it was really, really well done. Yeah. I think uh, AEW this week, uh, at least in my opinion, I, I don't think they wasted a segment. Um, like whether we're into the storyline that they are presenting to us, no matter what, there's always progression within that storyline. Um, they're constantly building. I feel like if you take any segment that happened last night, it's pushing towards something else to happen next week. Um, and within those matches, they were built. I think you saw that in like Brody Lee and Colt versus Janela and Sonny, which should have, you know, I should have not given a shit about it all, but I loved it. I liked the Lumberjack match, uh, FTR versus SCU the Brian Cage squash match, uh, match the contract signing. Uh, Damascus sucks. Hardy, Hardy. I mean, uh, uh, it's not great, you know, at all. Uh, I don't know really what to do with what – what do you do with this Matt Hardy character? I mean – I liked – you know, I, I agree. I liked AEW uh, better than I did um, NXT because I, I thought the – I thought the Sonny and Joey thing, I mean, I thought Sonny looked really good in that match. Uh, he bumps like a motherfucker. Or they, Sonny bumps like a motherfucker. They bumps, she bumps. I forget. I don't want to get in trouble with the wrong pronoun. Um, Turned into a Cindy Lauper song all of a sudden. He bops, she bops. <laughs> he bops, she bops. I think the reason that NXT beat AEW is Keith Lee. I think Keith Lee is their future star. He is a guy, if you look at the one thing about top WWE guys is they mug all the time with their face, with the exception of Stone Cold. Stone Cold is, was kind of kind of his own thing, but if you look at Hogan, The Rock, Cena, Keith Lee has that thing for me where he has that main event feel. And I, I, you know, I think maybe run with it, put the title on him, or at least start a lengthy program with him and Adam Cole because I, I think that's the closest thing they've had to Cena. Since Cena. And he raps his own song, I think, right? So, same thing. <laughs> See, I, I'd, almost go, I'd almost go the other way. Um, I would have Keith Lee face Adam Cole, lose the, the North American title, and then move him to Raw. Because they have uh, Cross coming up as the guy who's coming after Adam Cole. Get Keith Lee out of, out of NXT, put him in Raw where he can be uh, a top star. But do you want to see a heel heel, like a Cole versus Brock? It's kind of where they're going. And if you, if you don't have a crowd, why not? 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think two things that did work in NXT, which shows you what they're focusing on. It, the two main things that worked were uh, carrying Cross's match with Bronson Reed. I thought that was awesome the way they worked it. Yeah. Um, and I thought the main event was great, uh, which again is leading up, to, you know, should be great. It's they're combining the titles. Now here's my issue with the NXT main event. Why, why are they combining these titles? What is the purpose of any of this other than it seems like a weird ratings thing? I, I, I think I mean, NXT AEW, constantly, so, you know, I mean, well, yeah, but, but, but it's getting to me, it's, it, it, it's irrelevant because they're costing themselves matches and good storylines by just giving you these amazing matches that really don't feel important. Like, I, I mean, NXT, every match was fairly great and I could kind of give a shit. So like, okay, next week, for example, I mean, you have fighter fest, right? And then the week after that is part two of fighter fest. So what did NXT announce last night that for the next two weeks, they will be having the Great American Bash. It's like, it's such obvious responses that it seems so desperate and strange. And I get you're going to win ratings, but at what cost? Like, I'm not invested in fucking anybody. I feel like they want to, it's like, see, we own Dusty too. I feel like that's the whole point yeah. of Great American Bash. Because one of the first things in the package was Dusty winning the strap. I, I just legitimately do not get it i mean focus on the storylines i don't know that that's my complaint i mean dude they, they, they while this main event is happening and it's an amazing main event and, and and the implications are huge even though it's super rushed and therefore i don't care um then you switch to aw and it's jericho and orange cassidy which is something you would like never expect and yes it is strange and you go should he be in that position but it worked for me i'm watching it Every line Jericho said was cool as hell. It was smooth. He really went after Cassidy's character and how he is going to beat the shit out of him if he tries that bullshit with him. And then they got in a legitimate brawl and Cassidy bled and Jericho went through a table. And I mean, I think Cassidy should have smeared his blood on the shirt that has his face on it. But, um, you know, you can't be creative genius like me every time. I think the challenge with that, that last segment, that Jericho Orange Cassidy segment, was that's the kind of segment that deserved a live crowd. Orange Cassidy is over as a character because the audience loves him and reacts for him. When it's the boys around the ring doing it, it feels a little contrived. Yeah. And the moment where Jericho you know, finally pushes him over the edge and Orange Cassidy snaps is something that should have been saved for a huge reaction from a, a packed audience. And it kind of sucks that Orange Cassidy didn't get that. I was also surprised during the brawl how much offense Jericho got. I thought for sure Orange Cassidy was going to start beating the shit out of him. Jericho was going to bail. Now you have a reason to tune into Fighter Fest. Instead, we kind of saw them have physicality. Orange Cassidy doesn't throw the best punches in the world, um, which isn't wow. great, but I think it was great to have the, the – Fine. Orange Cassidy is awesome. Uh, <laughs> no, also, if he should have, what he should have done, he should have taken the blood, smeared it on his hand, put it in his pocket. Oh, I love that. Fuck, that's better than the face thing I said. Who created? Wouldn't have mattered. They. Oh, speaking of which, not not to whatever, but uh, I I did the the interview with uh, Justin Barrasso in Sports Illustrated, and one of the things I said was I'm surprised that AEW 
when it came to MJF, didn't do something special with him in the crowd where he was in his own plexiglass box surrounded by people in masks. And then what does Britt Baker come out with this week? But a plexiglass box surrounded yeah, yeah. by people wearing Jeez. masks. So I'm expecting my check for uh, $36 <laughs> to come from Tony Khan. Which kudos to them. Uh, that's the best I've seen a company do with someone injured in a while. I guess Joe with commentating, but that's, that's a thing that's common. When people get hurt, they commentate. This, uh, this is fresh. This, this works for me. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. So number seven, the only thing I give a shit about, I hope listeners give a shit about this, but it is my new Japan corner. God damn. I mean, did you guys watch any of this? Anyone listening, watch any of this? Is it just me at 6am? I need to start watching. It's, uh, it's so good. Uh, this week's two new Japan, uh, two new Japan cup shows were awesome. They're both like two hours, pretty much on the nose. And start to finish, like legitimately, everybody listening, they are very good. They they work. They do not feel like empty arena shows. They it doesn't feel like there's a crowd there, but it just doesn't feel uncomfortable. Is, it doesn't feel abnormal. It feels like down Scott's face as he says this. <laughs> also, his hand keeps moving up and down from frame, and I don't know why. <laughs> Dude, it just worked so well for me. I don't know. I. Uh, so this week you had Okada versus Nagata one night. Uh, another night, Ibushi versus Saber. Uh, Sho versus Shingo Takagi. I don't know what this sounds like to anybody listening. What, what matches if it just you sounds watch? Gibberish. Like um, to me, Okada versus Nagata is a match you need to watch. Sho versus uh, Shingo Takagi is a match you need to watch. It's tough. I would say watch the entire. Um, what What was this Monday? Whatever that date was. Um, Damn. 22nd? Um, yeah, yeah. So the 22nd, watch. I mean, every match on the 22nd was just great. And what both shows did is they built again for next week's uh, shows. Next week, starting Wednesday, July 1st, you have round two of the tournament. Um, well, round two ends. Round two ends finally. And then the following day, we get the corner finals. Uh, the next Friday, everybody for free. So you don't even have an excuse this time. You can watch it for free on New Japan World. You can watch the um, – hold on, what is it? We get the semifinals for free next Friday. And, uh, yeah, you also get um, – you get Ishii versus Hiromu next week, which is, uh, you know, a heavyweight versus a junior heavyweight, which you really don't get. And you get Ishimori versus Okada, which these matches are uh, – Again, they might not sound like anything to you, but they're like huge deals to people who watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. So it's like what we're a week into New Japan being back, and I legitimately feel like we're building to something of value, something that I'm excited about. Uh, And then also next Friday, I don't know what the hell this is. Uh, This could be bad. It could be good. I don't know. But next Friday, they're debuting on New Japan World. Uh, this thing called, let me see, it's with all the American Young Lions, and uh, it's called Lions Break Collision. I mean, what did you say? Cornet's Castle. (laughs) (laughs) It's just basically New Japan uh, starting at 10, I guess every Friday starting next week, uh, starting at 10 o'clock, they're doing like an American show i guess they filmed it a few weeks ago in california somewhere and it's just going to be their young lions 
I don't expect anything amazing, but at least we get something from the American side. Uh, so yeah, tune into all that next week. It's just damn good, guys. I mean, do you watch New Japan at all, uh, Robert? Uh, no, I don't get access TV. yeah i uh i have new japan world uh maybe i'll give you the password i don't don't want to well i could give you other websites but you know i'll just give you my password uh it's good shit man it's good shit yeah i think somebody somebody gave me i want to say i have ember moon's login information for it for some reason but i've just never but now she might be watching because she's she's home a lot more so yeah I don't want to kick somebody else off. Not, not that I would ever share my WWE Network login with anybody. It's great. And as of now, again, they are not caught up in cases of COVID. There is no speaking out. Uh, I mean, part of it is because they don't let women in the locker room. But, um, but hey, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's my New Japan Corner. I don't know. I, I, uh, it, it's been great, and I'm excited for more of it in the world of wrestling that is rare today. Number eight on the American side, Alexa Bliss has a new podcast. I mean, lovely. Uh, She's going to interview celebrities, wrestlers, former crushes. It's called Uncool, which is how a lot of people describe this podcast. Uh, An Alexa Bliss podcast doesn't necessarily intrigue me, but what podcast by a wrestler would intrigue you? Is there a wrestler that you would love to see have a podcast? And is there a wrestler, do you think, would fail miserably at having a podcast. It would just be unlistenable to you. Zach, let's go with Zach. Zach, do you have, do you have someone you would want to, uh, I don't know, listen to that, that doesn't have a podcast yet? Uh, no, everyone talks, right? It, everyone yeah, that's talks. how I feel. It's like my number ones are like Steve Austin, yeah. Jim Ross. Everyone that should have a podcast already has one. Yeah, Anyone Jericho. Probably shouldn't. So. Yeah, Dan, Dan, do you have somebody you, you just need to listen to? I, yeah, no, I, I, it was more of when I put that topic on there, it was more of like what person would be terrible at having a podcast because you're right. Okay, well, well, who would be terrible? Well, um, I don't know, man, because I was about to say Scott Steiner, but that would be pretty great. It would be a different type of I podcast. think that would be fantastic. It would be. Yeah. Look, it would definitely be I, over I, in three episodes, but it would be pretty great. <laughs> Robert, do you have any? So I think for the for the best, um, I would genuinely love to hear a Daniel Bryan podcast. I think his his insights into the business, the the way that he genuinely feels about how guys are, is really interesting, and he has a really unique take. I think another guy I would love to hear, just because I miss working with him and I miss hearing his voice, is Loki. Loki, what I mean, he could tell you the most boring, mundane story, but he's got that just amazing deep voice. That it yeah. just lulls you in, and they wouldn't deliver the Chinese food to the room because it was after one a.m. Like fuck, I'm intrigued. Uh, the worst podcast would be your New Japan Corner podcast uh, um, with a with a short second being Bruce Pritchard doing Akira Tozawa's podcast. <laughs> Oh, me, me like he wrestling. I can just, I can hear the shit he would come up with and think it's hilarious. Uh, he's been on Raw, he's been control Raw for two weeks and there's been subtitles. Uh, it's good to have Bruce back. Who? <laughs> I, I think Heyman, Heyman would be extremely intriguing. Um, but I don't know if I'd want to see, I, I'd like to see him do something like the way Conrad does stuff with people, with like Tony and... Um, oh. 
Eric Bischoff, Jim Ross. You want Heyman to sell you a mortgage? <laughs> no, I just I I want Heyman answering questions. I don't want Heyman so much bringing up topics. I I just I I want to I don't know. I want someone to sit down and kind of pick pick his brain. Um, I think a best a best worst podcast would be uh someone like Juventude Guerrera. I think I just <laughs> I need that in my life. I just just to sit down and like get drunk and uh and hear him drunk already and then just get angry with things but we don't know what we're angry I don't know it would just be a really good listen I think the worst I think someone like Sandman would be really uh really terrible I don't know who would want to be involved in that just him trying to figure out how to record yeah it's just him threatening the device he's (laughs) recording on now, this is why you need – I'd like a Sabu podcast. That would be fantastic. <laughs> um, I, I will never forget the first time meeting Sandman – or Sandman, sorry. The first time meeting Sabu uh, was at the ECW arena for the one and only WWE house show that was there. And he didn't know who the fuck I was, and I was there helping Paul. And I walked into the locker room, and he was in full-on gimmick, yelling and screaming, you know, in, in character. And Paul goes, no, 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 it's cool. And then he just looks right at me, reaches over, and goes – Hey, buddy, you want a grape? <laughs> it was the weirdest. <laughs> that is so great. And I took the grape because there's no way in hell I was going to get stabbed, but I wasn't going to eat anything that that man has touched. <laughs> of course. Wow. All right. Well, number nine, uh, we're going to do some Fighter Fest predictions, guys. Let me, uh, I'll read you, you know, the fir- what I assume is going to be the first match of night one. We're going to only do night one reviews, uh, and then next week we'll do night two. So first match for night one of next week's Fighter Fest, we have Private Party with Matt Hardy versus Santana and Ortiz. Uh, who do you guys have? I guess, you know, I, want, I, I think Santana Ortiz, but, uh, you know, like Matt Hardy's got to be a big factor in the match. So maybe it's like Matt Hardy telling them, oh, you did this wrong at the end of the match. But it, it could easily, this is a real pick this match. Yeah, I mean, unless he teaches private party magic, which is possible, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to go with Santana and Ortiz on this one. I think they need a win. And I think private party for really for the next year could be a tag team that just loses, and that's fine. We're, what we're impressed with private party is that they're able to do it. Like that's, you know, it's the athleticism. It's the fact that they are so new. Um, we just get excited to see them pull off an awesome match. We don't really need them to win. That's not their story yet. So I'm going with Santana and Ortiz. I think it's got to be a uh, private party just because the narrative here was going to be, I'm guessing Sammy was going to be in their corner and you were going to get a payoff of the whole running angle. Since that's not there, it seems strange to have Santana and Ortiz just win. Um, I don't know if it's going to be one of the stupid drones comes down and distracts one of the guys, and that's why they, they, they lose. But it seems weird to put Matt Hardy with them as there, as the Michael P.S. Hayes that, he, that uh, he had when he was with the Hardys, and then they turn around and, and lose. I think Santana Ortiz can lose, and they'll be fine. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm going with a, with a strange, screwy finish no matter what. Uh, Matt Hardy obviously gets involved. Okay, second match. On uh, night one, we're going to have Jurassic Ex- Express versus MJF and Wardlow. I'm into this match. I like this. I love the MJF, um, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry feud. 
and uh, I think Wardlow is money and Luchasaurus is money. I'm going to go with MJF and Wardlow. Yeah, I, I'm really what excited about this got? match. I'm going to go with Jurassic Express just because we're coming off wins uh, with Wardlow and MJF beat uh, Jungle Boy at the pay-per-view. But Okay, if, if that happens, who, take, who, who pins who? I think, I think MJF can take a pin from, like, Lucasaurus. Mm. I, I, I don't think it's going to kill him. Yeah. I don't think you can beat uh, MJF. I think that he's got a he, – I think he's – because he's undefeated or he's got, like, a zero and one thing to him. But I think he needs to maintain the, the undefeated streak to it. So I think there's more – upward mobility and, and marketability for MJF to advance right now than there is for, for Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus long-term. So I think that you have to give MJF the win somehow um, over, over those guys. Yeah, unless, unless we have, uh, you know, M- MJF is compromised somehow in the match. Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy take out Wardlow. Basically... I think a cool way for it to end would be Jungle Boy pinning Wardlow in a way that doesn't make Wardlow look like shit Um, because that is the number one thing that would get under MJF's skin is having Jungle Boy pin his his strongman. Uh, And that would be fun to see MJF freak out over that. Now you have an issue between MJF and Wardlow. You have an even heightened issue with Jungle Boy. And Luchasaurus still looks good because, you know, he's going to beat the shit out of guys in the match. I think Luchasaurus and Wardlow looked pretty good on AEW this week in that Lumberjack match. Yeah, that but was a blast, I, man. I'm begging whoever the agent is to explain to the wrestlers how a Lumberjack match works. When all the guys, uh, when they rolled outside to the babyface side and no one touched anybody, it, it looked like they were just disjointed and didn't know exactly what was going on. Yeah, and the, the announcers were kind of, hey guys, it's a Lumberjack match. You're supposed to get in there and, and do something. It's just kind of... Felt a little weird, but the big spot with Luchasaurus coming off of the stage felt looked really good. Yeah, I I I agree. Um, next match we have uh, Hikaru Shida versus Penelope Ford for the AEW Women's Championship. This has got to be Shida, right? She- yeah, easy. But it's going to be a fun match. But yeah, Shida wins yeah. that. Yeah, what was so you say? Penelope Ford is very good. Yeah, she's great. It's going to be a fun match. I mean, again, there is not a shitty match on this card. And I'm sure, you know, they're good at pulling off pay-per-view matches. And this is kind of like a tiny pay-per-view for them. Uh, Okay, now next we have Cody versus Jake Hager for the TNT Championship. It's going to be Cody. I actually, I wasn't as big of a fan of the press conference. I, I really liked the weigh-in that, you know, Mox and Jericho did before Revolution. Or was that Cody? I think it was Mox and Jericho. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Cody. The more that Cody, maybe this is intentional, but and I think Cody's a great promo. He's, he's probably one of my favorite wrestlers. But the more he throws these almost events around his matches – it comes off kind of heelish, right? If he if he's not if he's not in the top title, if he's not you know fighting for the top title, it's almost like, well, I didn't get invited to the cool party, but I'm going to make you know my smaller party better than yours. It just feels a little weird. 
Yeah, it's it's something in his cadence and confidence. But I do like that they are building this title in a legitimate way. I do like that. I can't I can't fault him for that. But yeah, there's definitely something in his voice the last few weeks where he could be a heel any moment and it wouldn't come as a surprise. It's it's all there. It's uh, I, I think I mentioned it on the show before. I think that ultimately it's, he's going to lose that title to a surprise somebody that they're going to bring in and they're going to beat him for the title. And that's going to determine if Cody's a baby face or a heel. There's enough big names that are floating out there that if they pulled the surprise of somebody showing up and winning the, the TNT title, it'll mean something him, him losing it to Jake Hager means you're going to get Jake Hager matches every week, which turns the entire promotion heel. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But again, do you, do you have Cody beat Hager? I mean, you know, Cody, it's very typical. He is going to have a match with all those elements of somebody's bleeding. And, you know, there's a lot kind of what like the greatest wrestling match uh, ever did. Like you have these moments of like, oh, this is a classic match, but it's not. It just has similar beats to it. Um, But I I don't want to see Hager lose clean. I feel like that's kind of happening to a lot of these big guys. They're not necessarily being protected. Then you you beat him with a countout. You, yeah. you, you There's ways there's ways around it. Um, yeah, maybe we get a countout, man. It's television. I don't know. It's it's TV. It's not really a pay per view. Do we need a a complete payoff? There's no way they're going to end on a no, countout or DQ. Uh, uh, damn match. it! There's no way Cody's not going to have that happen. Yeah, I think the no the way that you protect Hager is if Hager loses for some reason, but somehow gets his hands on Arn and lays him out. That that puts him back ten times stronger. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, I I, I like that. Uh, okay, now we have uh, what I think is going to be the main event, unless it's the TNT Championship. Uh, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page versus the best friends Trent and Chuck. Who do you have, Zach? Uh, it would be silly to take it off Hangman and Kenny right now. I think. I think, so. yeah, it, best friends is a good tag team for that. I think they're going to have a great match. I really do. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's going to make a blast. I think it's going to be an awesome match. It's going to make them look really good. But I don't think you take it off Kenny and Hangman yet. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we are going to get an awesome match. I hope it goes long. Um, I hope it's like a thirty minute match, man. I, I think they can do something really fun with this. And I hope they do. I hope I hope they don't blow off the Hangman Kenny thing quite yet. Um, right. Now's I, I, hope, I hope they tease it, though. I do hope they tease it a little. And, uh, yeah, I hope we get a conclusion of them winning because, you know, a, a team like FTR or the Young Bucks have to take it off of them. It, it can't be the best friends. Dan, Robert, what do you think? It's got to be Omega and Hangman Page. I thought that the package that they ran on, on Wednesday was very good. It made me excited about the match, and I wasn't excited about it. And uh, I, yeah, I, they I do think it's going to be a great match. I mean, you know, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega kind of got thrown together, but that tag match at Revolution was was off the charts. So, you know, yeah. they're functioning great. Robert, did you tag- see that match? Did you see, uh, did you see the tag match at Revolution? 
I have not seen that match. I gotta, I gotta seek that out somewhere. But the, I, I agree, Dan. The video package they did told the story really well, and it laid the breadcrumbs for the eventual uh, FTR match because it was Omega basically saying, "Hey, we decided to become a tag team, and boom, we're the best tag team ever. We decided to have the best tag wrestling match ever, and boom, we had the best wrestling match ever." And I think that that was directed solely at, at FTR, who in the FTR promo when they were calling out tag teams didn't mention the tag champions. They, they yeah. built and built up to the Young Bucks. So there's, they're setting it up for down the road, and I think that's where you're going to get your payoff. I think that's where FTR will win the titles, and they'll eventually do the split for Omega and, and Hangman Page. I think this is just a great chance to spotlight I hope uh, so. best friends who will then benefit from, uh, from the fallout. Yeah, I think it's a stacked card, and I am very excited about it. Um, on to number 10, folks. What is the single lamest thing Michael Cole has said? This is a very tough one because his entire personality is just one lame thing. Uh, do you have a specific moment where you realized you hated his guts? <laughs> or do you like him? Or do you I, like him? I, I had, a, I had a, a realization. First off, like, None of none of what Michael Cole says is his fault, but he's using this weird verbiage of a guy that only watched cartoons from the forties. I'm guessing, like if you imagine what he says in Vince McMahon cadence, it makes sense. Like all every word that he says, like if you look at old, you know, if you look at the attitude, not the attitude, the new generation when Vince was doing all the commentary, it, it's kind of what like Michael Cole is now. But because it comes out of Vince, it seems a little bit more genuine because he talks in that weird way. But for me, the one that kind of drives me nuts besides Here Comes the Big Dog is when he calls Finn Balor uh, an ordinary man that does extraordinary things. I don't know why. It's just like it, you can tell it's almost like he's being forced to say it with a gun in the back of his head. Yeah. Robert, uh, I mean, what's your what's your take I now hate the word vintage, and uh, I, I, I don't like antique clothing stores. I don't like uh, old clothing. I don't like any of it simply because of Michael Cole. What's the most fun about it is that when Michael Cole was the smarmy heel, when he was the, uh, the, the voice of the anonymous GM and was, and was a total just jerk, that's so close to kind of what it is when you work with Michael Cole. Uh, as the real guy, that when you see the very buttoned-down, programmed, uh, you know, weird cadence Michael Cole, he's just a, an avatar for Vince. You can kind of see Vince's hand moving his mouth. But when when he's himself, there's a there's definitely a, a nice heel charisma to him that he's suppressing, and that's why stuff like having to say the big dog or Uso crazy slowly eats away at his soul, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, he's put in a really um, bummer of a situation having to say things like that. Um, Robert, does Vince love Michael Cole? Is there a is there a Michael Cole documentary where Vince is going to treat him like he treats the Undertaker? Is that a possibility? I, I think Vince absolutely loves Michael Cole because Michael Cole is exactly what he wants. Michael Cole was a legitimate newsman who knows how to deliver things in a serious manner. He hits his marks whenever he needs to. He, he does all of his ad reads perfectly timed. You don't need to do any wild lines. You don't need to go back and fix it. 
there's rarely ever any flubs. He's used to his voice because he has non-regional dialect. And he's, uh, he doesn't look old, but he's seasoned where he knows what he's saying. And most importantly, he's not Jim Ross. Yeah. He, I heard, wow. and Robert, uh, see if this is true or not, but that like Michael Cole backstage is one of the funnier, meaner, like funny, mean guys, like really funny. Um, but nobody will see it. He's, yeah. He's very, he's very fun and very mean. Uh, there's a couple of guys, I mean, one of the best uh, of all time uh, in terms of being just funny and mean versus what his on screen character is, is Kevin Kelly, is low key incredibly funny and incredibly mean. And there's a lot of outtakes that exist that, that would get played uh, of lines that he had offhand read just as a gag, um, just, to, just to get pops out of people that were in the room, uh, particularly anytime he could bury the XFL. Uh, he would always do that when he was having to record them. But Cole is definitely very, very sharp-witted, uh, very funny. Him and Taz together, holy shit. Uh, it was it, getting those guys together for SmackDown tapings uh, or, or re-recordings or whatever it was, was, uh, was better than most roasts that you'd see on television. Wow, that's great. I'm glad you brought up Kevin Kelly, too, because he does English commentary for New Japan Pro Wrestling, everybody. Oh, I know, I know, what, I know what I brought and up. More importantly, boy, Kevin is he Kelly, good. <laughs> never in the NWO. oh damn well that's the show everybody thanks so much for listening guys you got anything to plug let's start with Uh, i want to plug our patreon this week robert came up with a topic it is the five uh best rated ecw matches from david Meltzer and the wrestling observer robert will be taking it away on sunday and uh, I'm, i'm looking forward to it should be a a fun show so make sure you i don't know that said it's so lame It'll be a great show, guys. Come on down. Bring it is going to be a great show, though. There's we a have great shows. These Patreon. If you're not listening to Patreon, you guys are fucking up. This is the only thing going on in a in a post COVID world that is worth anybody's time. Is our Patreon? Uh, we we have a blast. Please, please subscribe. What are you doing? And 100 percent of the proceeds <laughs> go to us. So make yes. sure that you. <laughs> Take that, charities. Um, (laughs) You can follow me on Twitter at WWCreative underscore ISH. And Zach, anything? Follow our Twitter, Total F and Marks. And yeah, go join that Patreon. I'm going to do another fan questions post tomorrow on the Patreon tomorrow. Yeah, let's do that. Notice how Zach this time didn't say wash your hands. It's almost like he's given up like the rest of the country. (laughs) Guys. (laughs) <laughs> Please wash your hands uh, so we can get some real wrestling and uh, we can, you know, get back to going to shows and getting sick for other reasons. Well, once again, I was buried before I could say it, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great uh, week, everybody. We'll see you uh, Monday on the Patreon. Ciao.